Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, podcast listeners. If you've ever listened to Write That Down with Fumi Saito and Justin Nipper before on our Patreon, you may have also heard this episode before. It's the first of a three-part episode on the history of the UWF, Rather than just get to part three in our new and free podcast feed, we're going to post the episodes in order. So this week, you'll get part one, and next week, you'll get part two before the third week when we post the brand new part three. And before we get to this show, I just want to let everyone know about Fight Game Media Network Plus, a.k.a. the Patreon if you enjoy what you're about to listen to on the Fight Game Media Network, check out our Patreon at patreon.com front slash fightgamemedia. We have three specific Patreon-only shows, and you'll soon have monthly bonus content to listen to from your favorite shows, including the one that you're listening to right now. And it's just 5 bucks a month, so if you want to support your favorite podcasts on the network, go to patreon.com front slash fightgamemedia, and you'll get more content than you can shake a stick at. Okay, patrons, welcome back. This is Write That Down. We're on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm Justin Nipper, Fight Game Media and Wrestling Observer, F4W Online. I'm back here. He's coming from Tokyo, Japan. He is the leading author and historian on pro wrestling, MMA, or whatever you want to call it these days, Mr. Fumi Saito. Hello. Hello from Tokyo. So we're going to dive deep into a kind of gray area of pro wrestling, especially a very oh, important. Oh, it's a big, big theme that uh, I don't think we can cover the entire story in one hour episode. So I'm looking at it as a part one, what mm -hmm. UWF was, or as a whole, what we know as professional wrestling, where it was from, where it is now, and where it's going in the future. Really, that big. So you mentioned that <laughs> we have to go back to 1972 to really start to understand the whole story. I suppose because when Inoki, Antonio Inoki, um, you know, broke away from the original Nippon Pro Wrestling JWA in 1972, it was his goal that he was telling I'm going to make wrestling uh, the, the, our real pro wrestling, he was calling. And that's why it was King's Road. Huh? Mm. I mean, like a and that the king of sport. I'm sorry, king of sport, strong style. And had Carl Gotch help him. It was a break. It seemed like it was breaking away from, like you said, King's Road was the other side. It was the more right, traditional. Right, right. 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 The king of sport mm -hmm. and strong style instead of American style or what they used to call it, showman style. Mm. <laughs> so there's an opposite, like a theme and antithesis, thesis, antithesis. Mm -hmm. At the end of the century, it looked the same again, though, you know, but uh, that's why it's so hard to where to start. Where do we start? The Karogats got a wrestling. The uh, most legitimate pro wrestler ever. 
and God of wrestling in Japan, we all believed in. I still believe in Korogach. I watched Korogach when I was third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. Korogach against Billy Robinson, Korogach against Anthony Inoki single match, Korogach and Luthes together going against Inoki and Sakaguchi tag team match. And he um, trained people like Satoru, well, of course, Inoki and Sakaguchi, but the Sat- Fujinami, Riki Choshu, original Tiger Mask, Satoru Sayama, Akira Maeda, Nobuhiko Takada, all these people, all the way to uh, Masaka Tsunaki and Minoru Suzuki of Pancras. And even our friend Debbie Malenko in the end, all the uh, way. Yeah, well, he didn't feel comfortable training women, though. So mm-hmm. it was just a few sessions at the Malenko school. He mm-hmm. showed up at the Malenko school in Tampa, Florida to train you, then UWF guys, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, and Carl Gotch is someone who lived a really kind of unique career. Uh, he had a unique career. He really went all over the world to kind of learn what he was bringing to Japan. Yeah, because he was born in, in, in Belgium, you know, Belgium, you know, that the Antwerp, Bel- you know, Belgium. And he's a German. And mother, you know, the family is Belgium, and he's a product of wartime, that the Holocaust survivor, and uh, yeah, then started wrestling profession in Europe, then moved to Wigan, England. Then he went, you know, he went into the Snake Pit, Billy Riley gym, and relearned his submission style. And he lived in Wigan for eight years. Then finally moved to, you know, from England and visa, you know, you know, his immigration visa and the whole thing. He moved to Montreal, Canada, then immigrated into America, finally in 1960. Now, yeah. was, was there a time he spent a little bit in India? A uh, little bit, but not like living there, you know, just like Billy Robinson had tours there. Uh, what you call professional wrestling in India is very different from what we know as professional wrestling, you know? So that's another subject for another day, <laughs> you mm. know? Yeah, Carl Gotch. And you actually, you did a movie on Carl Gotch in the 90s. Yeah, Kamisama, yeah. Mm. What is Kamisama for those who don't know what Kamisama means in Kamisama Japanese? Kamisama means God. <laughs> God, yeah. So he's really, he's the God of, of professional wrestling. Wrestling, yeah. Not in Japan, but the, his whole whole being of it, you know? Everything that come out of Carl Gotch's mouth, it sounded like, uh, you know, a poet or what's that? Uh, like a wisdom. Or, yeah, oh, so much wisdom. You know, that uh, the fools only hurt, uh, no, the truth only hurt fools. But I found out the world is, for, you know, for of fools or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Or like uh, everybody knows the price, but nobody knows the value. Or something like that, you know. Mm, he's like a philosopher. So many, is that good though? I mean, mm. I, I'm just talking top of my head, but there's so many of them. You know, what's new is old. What's old is new, or something like that. I mean, just keep coming out of his mouth. You know, I should take and like note. So I made a sh- you know short film, short movie, and uh, that's available. But that is not a subject of another day. Mm. And also, I mean, we still have to get the UWF. UWF. Okay, that's a initial UWF, the first Universal Wrestling Federation, right? Yeah, let's but, fast forward to the 80s, yeah, 1984, yeah. 19... But uh, nobody remembers this as a Universal Wrestling Federation. It's a UWF, the, just the initial, much like your NWA or NWO or WWE today. Mm-hmm. 
nobody thinks WWE as re- more world wrestling entertainment, right? Right. It's always WWE. Kind of like your Major League Baseball. It's MLB now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, the initial sticks and it's UWF that it that, that became probably the biggest movement through uh, throughout mid to late 80s into early 90s and all of a sudden died you know mm. yeah so who of the wrestlers who would you say is the kind of spearhead of this uwf movement in the 80s they it was a lot it seemed like it had a yeah, lot to it, do with new it japan was yeah it was actually wasn't the movement first in uh, there was a like a coup coup d'etat within mm. New Japan Pro Wrestling Company in summer of 1983, okay? And then-president Antonio Inoki, the vice-president Seiji Sakaguchi, the head of the sales and the promotion, Hisashi Shimada, those three uh, top guys resigned uh, momentary, you know, like for temporary. To, 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 to some, something happened and they had to resign and they have to reconstruct the whole New Japan thing, okay? Then Shima left the company or fired or something. Then original Tiger Mask, Satoru Sayama quit. And uh, it was mysterious coup that uh, much detail was hidden, you know? And the following summer, uh, the spring, I'm sorry, of 1984, UWF as Universal Pro Wrestling was formed as a spin-off Originally, spin-off of New Japan Pro Wrestling, like a sub company. So, yeah, like uh, you actually, it's under <clears throat> originally though, under new, big New Japan Pro Wrestling's umbrella, and they were going to run two different buses: mm. New Japan Pro Wrestling and Universal Pro Wrestling (UWF). Original UWF. Let's run two buses, like. Raw and SmackDown, you know, under WWE. Like two different brands, two flavors. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that version of U- original UWF had young Akira Maeda, Russia Kimura. That, uh, From uh, international wrestling. He was the big star uh, there. Yeah, but under New Japan, though. No. Mm-hmm. Akira Maeda, Russia Kimura, Ryu Mago, Grand Hamada, and... Uh, Fuji, uh, the, still under New Japan, but the Nobuhiko Takada joined and uh, uh, Fujiwara worked the show too. And the original, this, this original version of UW had a, their, own, their own tour, you know, w- with people like Dutch Mantel, the, the Bob Sweetan, the, you know, the unlikely American guys, right? Mm. Then had one tour and the uh, the final night of the first tour, they had Sumo Palace show, you know, Sumo Kokugikan. It was single match between Akira Maeda and then terrorist Yoshiaki Fujiwara. So you could see they were going to pretend it's a separate company, but why would you let your guy work the show? No problem, right? And then everybody knew at the end of that tour that, look, these two companies, this new version of UWF was still like under like a New Japan umbrella or just spin off New Japan. And 
it was actually there was a plan to you know split New Japan into two groups. Believe it or not, this original poster of Universal Pro Wrestling, the very first UWF, the poster they you know, printed, had Antonio Inoki on the poster, Andre the Giant on the poster, Hulk Hogan on the poster, and Maeda and oh Dick Murdoch, Adrian Adonis. None of those people joined, right? Obviously. Mm, they were, uh, I think, in retrospect, they all were New Japan talent at yeah, the time. Yeah, of course. It stayed of that course. way. But uh, <clears throat> that, uh, when they pitched uh, business to uh, Channel 8, Channel, Channel 8, Fuji Television, mm-hmm. they were told, Anthony Nunki is coming to this new company. We are going to have Under the Giant. We are going to have Under the Giant, uh, Hulk Hogan, Dick Murdoch. Uh, Adrian Adonis and Maeda and this and that. and they were going to have Wednesday night eight o'clock television time you know prime time spot. Yeah, I was going to ask: Did this version of UWF ever have a chance to be a or be on television or have a television show? They were pitched, mm. and uh, none of those things happened. Obviously, Inoki didn't you know wasn't going to leave the main main roster, right? Mm. And none of those things happened, and. Akira Maeda ended up being the top guy, which he wasn't all that much of a big star at that point in time, right? Mm. But uh, they went ahead and, and ran their first tour. And they were going to do this angle-like story pr- press conference that after one tour of this uni- you know, original UWF, they were going to merge, merge into... Mother new uh, mothership New Japan again, and they work as a like a like a sub company, you know, working with New Japan, you know, kind of like a merge again into New Japan, mm-hmm. like a political no. maneuver. But none of these happened, and actually, it was like the New Japan was going to treat all these things as an angle storyline to create like your new faction right mm-hmm. but instead the uh, uh noboru urata the company president of original uwf akira maeda nobuhiko takada yoshiaki fujiwara then uh freelancer satoru sayama or the original tiger mask and his uh, sparring partner kazuhiko uh, kazuo yamazaki they actually get together and say you know what we are running our own show oh let's do it you know it's like now that they New Japan thought they were going to march again, right? And this was 1985, Four. 1984. Four. Yeah. yeah. So 84. I have a question around this time as well. Maeda and even Sayama, they were also appearing in WWF. It was the New Japan deal was. Uh, they, uh, Satoru Sayama, original Tiger Mask, appeared in WWE in New York, 83, 82, mm. 83. That's it. And, and uh, how about Maeda? He spent a little bit of time there. Was this, yeah, did this have um, anything to do with uh, what was going this, on? Yeah, that to make people believe this new version, I mean, new company, UWF, independently exists. Going to Madison Square Garden and beat this, some guy called Phil Lafayette or somebody to become very first WWF, UWF, international heavyweight champion. Ah, I see. The, Remember uh, that? 
what I think in English is just referred to as the WWF international title. I don't think they use the right. UWF. But the name. championship belt physically printed UWF on it, though. Mm. Yeah. Anyhow, that so he he won the title, right? International title in Madison Square Garden. Came back to Japan. Now supposedly you are the star, and you had your own tour. Then you march back to New Japan as like a like a brand. The whole you know branch, right? Mm -hmm. Within New Japan umbrella, but instead. Maeda, Takada, Fujiwara, Sayama, Yamazaki, with help of Coral Gotch again, they go, no, I'm no, 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 we're not going back to New Japan. We are running our shows. So all these, you know, like Inoki angle didn't work. Then he, they really became independent. They ran their own shows all through 1985. On their own, without uh, New Japan's uh, assistance or no influence, really... it became truly independent. So the uh, the subdivision or the faction version of the, all these things that the Inoki and his people designed to run two different buses on the same umbrella, that didn't work. Maeda and his guys really decided to leave and become independent from New Japan. That's the origin of real UWF. Does and that make the, sense? Yeah, I think so. I mean, especially because they even went so far to change the style. general rules and style. Yeah, yeah well, sports they style. Wanted, yeah, that was summer of 1984. I, uh, 85? 84, yeah. Summer of 84. Right when they became independent, I mean, completely separate from New Japan and they were going to let people know that no we are not part of new japan's this big you know storyline split or uh, people still had doubt well that they're still part of new japan ante it's like no 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 they are really going independent right hmm. so they ran two consecutive korakuen show for the first time with sayama's tiger as that tiger, the new name, that tiger, and Kazuo Yamazaki, yeah, uh, no, uh, the Nobuhiko Takada, Fujiwara, Fujiwara, and ta on top, Akira Maeda. They really changed style that night. Two nights at the Korakem, uh, they became what we call Dato Kyoku. Da means striking. To means nageru, uh, the, the throwing, suplexing. Kyoku, mm -hmm. meaning submission. Striking and suplexing and submissions. Oh my gosh. That sounds like MMA, you know, 20 years later, right? Mm. Did it feel uh, like it was more dangerous at the time? Like, uh, wow, what, what is, uh, what's going to happen? To make wrestling into legitimate contests was the whole idea. He was still pro wrestling, I believe. Yeah. And they will never admit to it, you know, because mm. they were making professional wrestling. I mean, the, their idea of professional wrestling, you know, no bouncing off the rope, no big chair shots, not even drop kick, no fighting outside the ring. You do that in the ring and no nonsense. You just gonna, you know, wrestle. Either you strike, kick or you do the suplexing 
and at the end of the night, you make somebody submit to your all kinds of car guide submissions. Does that make sense? And a lot of the wrestling at this time in the mid 80s, it was very common to see the non-finish finish, the double count out, the <laughs> no winners, just uh, yeah. extending the uh, program for another card. And I think you're talking like a Fujinami against Ricky Choshu, something or, like that, or, or even Inoki against Cruiser Brody. That they had what the six, seven single match with no finish whatsoever. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Or on the other side too, Stan Hansen, Jumbo Tsuda, Tenru. They had double count out, double DQs. You know, oh, all Japan did so many around that time. Yeah, right? that's also disappointing, huh? Mm. So it is good to have clean finish, huh? It's satisfying to some fans. I think maybe, do you think fans were hungry for a uh, more definitive uh, product? Like, yeah, or you want to see the loser. outcome. Yeah. Or conclusive something, I mean, conclusion of the whole story or drama. Mm. Yeah. But they, I don't know if they really used it, but the, to make wrestling, professional wrestling into more of MMA-ish, not completely into MMA, but like if you really fought in that ring, this is how it's supposed to look. You know it saying? was supposed to be a more uh, more realistic version of what they're going to do. No, yeah, like yeah, you said, yeah. like no bouncing off the ropes, no high-flying. No, flying. they didn't do that. No high-flying. Nothing off the top rope. Not even dropkick. Yeah. So I guess but, it was uh, it was going away from the idea of entertaining the audience to But it became the very audience. entertaining. Mm. Only, only those seven guys could do it probably, huh? You think so? <laughs> that core? Because uh, there were a lot of uh, uh, wrestlers yeah, like, and non-wrestlers uh, that came through. Oh, and also that version of uh, that version of the first original UWF had a Dean Malenko, mm -hmm. uh, Joe Malenko, uh, Pat McGee, who was Scott McGee, uh, quite a few Florida guys. You know, who the guys who you know trained under Carl Gotch. Yeah, they came over and were able to do that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So they kept pushing forward and eventually they, they, I think it was around 88 was when they had the first uh, kind of the UWF card where they, they were more established. They reestablished. They got back uh, together. Actually, you fast forward it too far. <laughs> too far. Okay. Well, I, a couple of years. So. Okay. Within, okay. In the course of 1985, this original, very original version of UWF was, you know, active, you know, um, all through 1985. But uh, I guess the audience or the market or the business wasn't ready for this company yet at this point. Mm. Then they ran out of money and they, um, they stopped running show at the end of 1985, okay? Mm. And by then... Satoru Sayama himself had this vision of making in his own new sport called Shuto. Uh, That's, that see. still exists today, right? Mm -hmm. Shuto. <clears throat> that came from shoot in wrestling terminology, shoot. But uh, he made it into kanji, you know, the adopted kanji character into Shuto. Mm. I mean, put a little O on at the end, Shuto. Then he came up with this, the, the, the whole new rule book and the whole thing. And he realized that the, he has to start from scratch and that uh, it was amateur first. So it, so therefore the beginning of Shuto that exists even today, right? Mm -hmm. And Sayama basically quit 
professional wrestling that year and uh, walked away from UWF too. And five remaining guys, you know, like Maeda, Takada, Yamazaki, Fujiwara, and Kido, Osamu Kido. Five guys with suit and tie showed up at the very last show of New Japan's 1985 at the Sumo Palace that uh, they signed the deal to go back to New Japan as UWF. Hey, combat sports fans, if you're a Facebook user, check out our Facebook group. There are daily discussions relating to pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. And to be honest, we can use more MMA and boxing fans. We have two rules and two rules only. No hate speech and no trolling. Thus, as you can imagine, it's one of the better places to talk combat sports on the internet. The link is in the show notes. Does that make sense? Is that where we got those uh, kind of famous 10-man tag team matches? Uh, New oh, Japan? like 86, 87, yes. Mm, so yeah. it, it was uh, it was more uh, their style being incorporated into the New Japan umbrella. Yeah, because they weren't going to go back to bouncing up off the ropes and doing drop kicks and doing traditional pro wrestling. And, and I believe Inoki wanted it that way, that they developed their own style. The following January, January 1985, 86, there was Sumo Palace main event. Anthony Inoki against Yoshiaki Fujiwara. New Japan style against UWF style. They, that happened. And Inoki beat Fujiwara with this killer sleeper hold. Put him in sleep. And then Maeda run, you know, run into the ring and give this biggest high kick to Inoki's jaw. Hmm. Therefore, the beginning of that program. Maeda's kicks got him into trouble later. But that's a little... <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, that this his UWF image and more legitimate contest in the whole W I mean UWF movement, these guys are going to make professional wrestling legitimate contest. Real. Sport. Real. Yeah. Yeah. And the new Japan is like, wait, you know, we gotta do that all to every single one of you, right? Ah. And like in spring, there was a, one more Inoki Fujiwara in Osaka and the double main event, Akira Maeda against Tatsumi Fujinami. You know, Tatsumi, Fujina, Tatsumi Fujinami in receiving end. You work like New Japan and Maeda work like UWF. And then Maeda this, does this uh, the vertical spin kick and corner. And then just my that the Fujinami just gashes the forehead like a blood flying all over the place and just a double knockdown and the whole thing. But it was like it proved that yeah, New Japan style and UWF style clashed. And Maeda basically proved that point that what what they do is real. How's that? It must have really excited or or stimulated. A oh, lot of fans. then that, that by night. Like, UWF started the movement in 1984, and all through 1985, they did their own show, but they ran out of business, and back to New Japan as UWF. So, 86, all through the year, you had this New Japan against UWF. That made UWF even more famous and special. And uh, fall or summer, you have to look it up, but uh, there was one big Inoki live, that uh, Inoki against Leon Spinks. Martial mm -hmm. arts fight, right? Mm -hmm. And double main event, Ma Akira Maeda against Dan Nakaya Nielsen. Then 
kickboxing heavyweight champion from Las Vegas. Famous match. He just passed away a couple of years ago. Right, right. After he retired, he moved to Thailand and became chiropractor or something. But that made him like a wrestling superstar too as well. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Overnight. Yeah. Dan Nakaya Nielsen against Akira Maeda. It was a big, big, you know, I mean, like a historical match, right? And Very I exciting, was, yeah. What even was going still, wild. Still pro wrestling, though. Right, right. It was viewed like pro uh, wrestling. Some people still believe it was pro wrestling. Therefore, you have exit. See, another thing, UWF people or their affiliates and friends and believers, or like a know-it-all, like wrestling type people, you know, in wrestling terminology, it's finish, right? Finish. Mm -hmm. If it's UWF, and when they had to, they had exit. <laughs> ah, okay, exit. They never used the word finish. When they had to, they had to create the exit. Let's remember that. Exit, exit moment or something. Okay, it's, it's a very <laughs> like interesting you need exit from the building, you know, from mm. the fire, you know, or something. So I think I, that that the term exit was so brilliant, you know. It's a very, it's more uh, evidence of the these maybe seven guys really wanting to break away from the and the protect and pr still protect what the business, what they felt the business was, right? But also, yeah, but it's it not New Japan. Like the, uh, yeah, so it's like a 1980s in interpretation. But the, what they were doing was like what Frank Gotch was doing in 1900s, huh? Don't you think? Yeah, it seems like it's uh, actually more traditional than what was happening in without New realizing Japan. It, without realizing, yeah. without yeah, that the 1890s there was you know he was there was a guy William Muldoon, the father of American professional wrestling, right mm -hmm. in New York. William Muldoon, they I believe they were work already, you know, over the, as far as back 1920s in France, Paris, professional wrestling, the core audience and the core of wrestlers that they only knew each other's work you know like a really close society that's professional wrestling they must have finished right and 1890s william Maldon must have finished but they never told people in 1900 frank gotch against george hackenschmidt 1908 1911 they were professional wrestling right therefore they must have finished. But it was like, that was then. So I think going back to, I mean, you, what UWF was doing in, in mid to nine, you know, late 80s, it was like going back about a century, you know? It's looking uh, back to go forward kind of idea. <laughs> Something like, that's why it's so fascinating, you know? And that's what Inoki wanted in, in, in the first place. It's ironic because- Isn't uh, it though? Yeah. yeah, it's what what those guys didn't want was actually what Inoki wanted, and, and he would pursue <laughs> that actually even later, right? And twenty yeah. years later, he would yeah, but chase that dragon. But the 1986 version of Antonio Inoki in reality was like already uh, past forty, and just his body breaking down, and just the, the, the very big show that I, we just talked about, Antonio Inoki against Leon Spinks, it wasn't much at all. You know what I'm saying? Mm. It's it doesn't even sound good on paper, right? 
I don't know where Springs was at his career at that point. I think it it, it wasn't like Ali Inoki at all. Oh it was no, much different. No, Ali Inoki, uh, 1986. Ten years later, Inoki's ten years older, and Leon Springs. You don't know where they found them, you know. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but they put it together, and it was not good at all. And what saved that night was Akira Maeda against Dan Nakaya Nielsen's like the closest thing to your MMA pro wrestling match. It was exciting. You should, I mean, people should go back to, you know, the, the old tape or something. Dan Nakaya Nielsen against Akira Maeda. That night, Maeda really became the, like, the biggest star of that era. Yeah, unfortunately, I think people associate Maeda either with rings or they more unfortunately with the kick to Choshu's face. But it's really <laughs> that match with Don. Maeda, was... But Maeda's direction was clear that the, he wasn't going to be a traditional progressing superstar. He wanted to move away from it. You he know? was v the most stubborn of the group, I think. He was very, uh, he, he, oh, he was knew saying what he he's wanted. not a part. Yeah, exactly. He really knew. Legitimate 6'4", real tall, ex-karate fighter, you know, and uh, right out of high school, joined New Japan Pro Wrestling. He wasn't even a wrestling fan growing up. He was told that uh, join New Japan right out of high school and debut as pro wrestler and then spend time, and then they were going to send him to America to open karate school. Hmm. You know, like America, I mean, you you know you go to america as a japanese karate fighter and uh, you open karate in a dojo in new york city or something that what he's like he was promised at the beginning hmm and okay, it's great yeah especially at that time it was getting really martial arts uh, movies or very hot uh, kind of uh, trend at the time was yeah karate and... or yeah all kinds of film yeah and uh but he spent time, you know, you know, there was a couple of years that Akira Maeda himself carried Antonio Inok's bag, you know, mm. suitcases, you know, everybody did, took routine. Fujiwara did that, Takara did that, even people like Masa Chono did that, you know, there's a Tsukibito, right? And mm. superstar wrestler that you carry their suitcase, you know, and then take care of them, you know, all these things. But Maeda was like Inoki children too just like Fujiwara was. But this is like a so complex issue there, you know, that uh, Inoki is like a father figure, but also somebody he really has to walk away from to be his, himself. Does that make mm. sense? And it's funny how it turned out, like we said, Inoki would chase that idea of realness, but Maida actually would eventually take what he was doing and, and eventually go even farther away from pro wrestling with rings and it, it became yeah, MMA. that's why it sounded like a godfather story <laughs> you know yeah very much so very, yeah, it's, don't it's you very think? dramatic yeah 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 but it, it takes time you wouldn't be able to do it when you were 25 26 it takes like a decade of work maida couldn't have done it in new japan you know under new japan umbrella he had to go back and do the uwf the uwf has a split he has to start the rings. Then rings is a place where they discovered people like uh, um, uh, Feder Emilienko or mm. you know All Flame from you know that all these you know people from non English speaking world and put them in the ring as a ring under the same rings. That therefore they became MMA. 
you know? And by then, Maeda was beaten down as a, a, you know, as a fighter and he was great producer, but it wasn't his time anymore as a fighter. Isn't that ironic? Yeah, he, he had his last But moment. Well, I guess we, we fast forwarded too far. You know? Yeah, because Maeda is somebody who's really important, but I think it takes time to really, he has a lot yeah. to, we would have and, to unpack uh, a lot. The kick yeah. to the face happens the following year. Yes. 90, as of 1987, Inoki's crew, you know, New Japan, that uh, roster, that uh, original New Japan roster, and UWF dressing room, right? An American wrestler dressing room, that's a three different dressing room. And spring of 1987, Ricky Choshu and his guys, 10 of them, all came back from all Japan. After Japan pro wrestling, uh, right, right. their invasion on the other right. side. On the other side, that the Ricky Choshu and his guys, like, you know, uh, Kuniaki Kobayashi, the, uh, Yatsu didn't, didn't come back. Oh, but, that's uh, right. He stayed. Right. He stayed. He stayed with all Japan. But you have your strong machine. The, uh, then rookie Kensuke Sasaki, the Hiroshi Hase, then rookie, and of course that uh, your, you know, senior Masa Saito from Minnesota. You know, mm. they all joined back. Isn't that dramatic or what? You know, or and, people uh, like Norio Honaga. You know. Yeah. A lot of people uh, look at that as like the kind of early idea of a NWO invasion sort of angle. It's not the same. But NWO it, was took from this angle. Mm. Of course, NWO stuck with more of a pro wrestling approach. They didn't. Yeah, include but the to think about this, you know, in the spring spring of 1987, New Japan roster like Inoki, the Fujinami, the Kengo Kimura, the you know, Cobra, George Takano, the, all these, Koshinaka, all these guys, like, you got 20 guys. Then there's the UWF, Maeda, Takada, Fujiwara, and they would still do their style within, within New Japan ring, right? Mm. Then you still have this American crew, like, Andrew the Giant, the, the, the Dick Murdoch, the, you know, this strong American roster within New Japan. Then you have Ricky Choshu's 10, 12 guys. Just like, oh my, oh my God, it's like a huge roster once again. New Japan of 1987. Then there was the, the fall of November of 1987. Ricky Choshu's trio, uh, his guys' trio against UWF trio guy, or some tag team in, at the Korakin. That infamous shoot kick to the face of Ricky Choshu happened. So can you set this up? It was in a, like a tag team match. It was, yeah. uh, we had Choshu's guys versus UWF guys. Very, and it, I think at, the, at this time, the crowd was pretty, you know, out of their minds. They loved what was going on. There was a lot of exciting, yeah, the, different wrestling. Clash of styles too, right? Yeah, res, uh, amateur wrestling versus, uh, you know, more martial arts style. Even though we see today in MMA. It's more of, like a traditional pro wrestling against UWF style though. Right, in that context. Maeda wasn't going to stand and take Ricky Choshu's American clothesline. Mm. You know what I'm saying? He, he wasn't going to... Um, uh, what, 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 they're not going to work together. He's going to be himself. What was interesting, though, those real awkward you know, clashes of style made New Japan look a lot more real, too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like almost strange way of enjoying it, you know? 
kind of like you don't know what to expect. <laughs> yeah, so some people didn't like it. It's like I want to see like a really like a stress-free New Japan Fujinami against Ricky Choshu that uh, feel good match, right? Yeah, and uh, the the UWF style is not it's not concerned with entertaining people. But That's it not the first ended concern, up being you know? pretty entertaining too, you know. Right, that, right. Uh, that uh, right because wrestling fans became a little bit more educated and advanced at that point in time too. Because you toss your guy into the rope, you if you don't want to, you wouldn't come back, huh? It's like until up, up until that point in time, it wasn't even an issue, wasn't it? Like didn't didn't your like a, your neighbor or some school, I mean, high school friend tell you before that, that why would wrestler throw your opponent into the rope and they come right back like it's so fake, right? Sure. Why they jump off? Why they <laughs> climb to the top rope and jump off? And why would the opponent wait for you? You know? Right. Yeah, exactly. And those are the things that the non-wrestling fan use as a proof that the, what they're saying is right, that they're all oh, wrestling is so fake, right? No, it's not. You know, go, <laughs> you know, we've been defending professional wrestling all our lives. Mm. And <laughs> I think though, uh, it seems like more casual, like you said, the, the fans that want to see, they want to relax. They want to escape from salary man life. They, wanna, yeah, they want some entertainment. Studying in school or the, all, all kinds of stress, you know, yeah, what the yeah. wrestling is for. But uh you the style clash and also New Japan, uh, UWF, and American tough guy like Dick Murdoch, those confrontations really proved the point. Right, if you don't want to, they wouldn't come back right at you from the bouncing off the ropes. You know, you should go back and see single match between Akira Maeda against Dick Murdoch. It was kind of funny, entertaining wrestling match and that can happen without bouncing off the rope the match was still good does that make sense yeah but it was a little bit it was more challenging than what we oh were. very challenging very to the, challenging. to the fans to the fans yeah yeah but the tokyo audience is uh, they are basically so reading oriented people and they watch all the matches all the videos are available and they read everything watch everything so they just almost have to keep up with them, you know. And that uh, Maeda wasn't going to go back to your traditional wrestling style. But we'll, time to time he did. Can you imagine 1987, Kerry Von Eric against Akira Maeda? That happened. How was that? How did that look? <laughs> I was there. Oh, yeah. Well, wow. Rick, so then, uh, Maeda... Akira Maeda, you know, had this side headlock on Kerry Von Eric, right? Standing. Mm -hmm. Of course, Kerry Von Eric will push his, you know, back to toss him into the rope, right? right? Maeda did right, you know, run to the rope and did come back off the rope only to give him big shoulder block. Boom. Mm. So it's like, it didn't hurt. I mean, like, right. That was it, huh? It's like, so... It's kind of like almost like everything was like finding what what if what can happen you know it's like it was really different point in the time you know then in the middle of this you know uh, six months of you know 
clash of styles and all these philosophy things that Maeda, uh, Choshu's kicking in the face confrontation really happened. And probably it had to happen. It's such a bad thing in wrestling, kick somebody in the face from behind. It's like a, almost cowardly attack. Bad, right? It's but, real, uh, uh, yeah, breaking the codes. Yeah, but sooner or later, something was going to break, you know? Yeah, yeah. And evidently, uh, Akira Maeda was suspended right after the match and, and eventually was fired from New Japan Pro Wrestling. I mean, yeah, for legit. He, yeah, legit. He really injured uh, Chosha's face. He broke his orbital bone. Yeah, yeah. And but the funny thing is though, Ricky Choshu was the first one to tell people that don't blame him and I forgive him. Is that why, interesting? Why did he say that? They were you know, wrestlers are brothers, right? So you he know? forgave Maeda. He wasn't. It wasn't a. a there wasn't a kind of a feud that lasted forever it was kind of squashed after it happened again that's why it's it looks so much like the godfather part two ah does that like, sound like it like the brothers like uh like fredo and uh yeah and then something happens and something bad takes place and probably like somebody really get hurt but we're still brothers right like uh, oh wow so i always had to use this godfather reference you know because it's easy to understand, huh? It makes sense in the context of like a family, especially if yeah. Inoki's the dad. Yeah, right. Asian dad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he has lots of kids. It was different idea. The kids with different ideas. They Very all have to be king ideas. to, you know, to form your own family. You have to leave that family to start your own family too. And, and Very then, Godfather, huh? And we saw that, you know, it first happened in the mid 80s and then it continued to happen into even more. It splintered even more later on. Yeah. But uh, that confrontation had Akira Maeda actually fired from New Japan. Therefore, the second incarnation of UWF starts in spring of 1988. Okay. That, that's yeah. where I fast forwarded to earlier. Yeah, 1988. Second version of, but independent UWF happens. Maeda, of course. Takada, you know, Nobuhiko Takada joins. Kazuo Yamazaki, of course, joins. And young Yuko Miyato, young Nakano, young Anjo, they all join. By the way, this, yeah, uh, the Yuko Miyato is the one who does uh, Snake Pit today. That's right. He does yeah. Snake Pit in Koenji. In, in, in Koenji, Tokyo. yeah, a friend of mine. Yeah, he still and... does that to this day. And he and still is, trains wrestlers. You told me this is so impressive. He is just a genius cook. Yeah, yeah. You know why? Because in UWF days, you know, he was at the dojo doing chancos. So he's he's had lots of experience making uh, making chanko for the all of these guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From from Inoki in the, to 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 oh, from basically UWF debut. So. Uh, uh, Maeda, Takada, Fujiwara, Yamazaki, uh, those people, yeah. And that, that, that's even the, the other generation that would kind of bloom in the 90s. Right, right. Especially Anjo. Anjo, of course, UWFI, he was mm. one of the key guys too. Yes. So was Miyato too. And mm. this, this version of you know, UWF portion becomes UWFI in, in 1991. See, 
this second version of UWF was so popular, you know, and Fujiwara joins later, uh, that the year later in 89. In 89, uh, coming back from Europe, Masakatsu Funaki didn't go back to New Japan. He joined UWF and young Minoru Suzuki quits New Japan and joins UWF. And this is like, a, this is the strongest crew of UWF become 89, 90, you know, this real strong version of UWF. They were running shows at the Ariake, you know, stadium, at the Osaka stadium. Every show was at the Budokan. Every show was at the Yokohama arena. Uh, they only ran house that holds like 18,000 people. Mm, they were Once very, a month. it oh, really, God. it looked, especially with this younger generation, these guys looked different. They looked really cool. They were bringing a new, uh, uh, Approach. And where they had this like uniform, like you're kicking, you know, kicking kick pads. pads. Yeah, yeah. And, and short uh, trunks. Short trunks and matching color, matching color knee pads. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, oh yeah, like a top to bottom. That's that's your UWF. Either it's yellow, 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 or mint green, 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 or black, 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 or sometimes different color, red, 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 and uh, it just they had this UWF style. And yeah, they, we saw more of the black trunks in New Japan. It was the, the even yeah, more yeah. fundamental. Yeah, so. and my minus kicking pad though, because right, actually, right. the original Tiger Mask Satoru Sayama introduced it. You know, therefore okay. the early Shuto people was they were wearing the kicking pad too. And now the Akira Maeda, Takada, Yamazaki, Funaki, Suzuki, Miyato, Anjo, Nakano, they all were kicking pads. Yeah. And now today, every other wrestler is wearing kick pads. You know? American, uh, I mean Seth Rollins, that uh, you the know, Miz. Kevin Owens, uh, you know, yeah, guys uh, who don't even Daniel, really use kicks, yeah, like Brian Danielson. Oh my mm. gosh, yeah, or actually Chris Jericho too. Of course, <laughs> so it's a culture, you know. Yeah, mm. uh, but it came from these guys. Yeah. I, yeah. We could talk about this all night long, and you know what? It's we, we really have we've we're at 1988, so let, let's stop there because I think we can start at the second stage UWF, the, you know, the starting okay, over yeah, 1988. Shows. That the what we call this, what we call a second version, second reincarnation of UWF, but that was the peak of UWF movement, mm. and it's then where... split into Fujiwara Gumi, UWFI, and rings, and eventually Pancras, and all these things. We have to cover that next time. Yeah, it's it's the the younger generation who they were there, but they were developing under Maeda and Fujiwara and and Sayama and who and even and, and Sayama's gone. It's Nobuhiko Takada. Oh right, because there's Shuto as well. Yeah, but, so it's already split. So it's really complicated layers and layers of issue. They all had the same thing in mind: make wrestling into legitimate sport, believable sport. And we get some more Carl Gotch again. He helps these guys. He's the still God a part of, of this. The God, he, yeah, of there's course. a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. And what Inoki wanted in the first place back in 1972. Which he wasn't exactly achieving at this point with New Japan, which it's so it, there's. Yeah, but uh, there was a program 48, then 48 year old Korogach, like at the end of his active wrestling career against 32 year old Antonio Inoki single match. I was there. <laughs> you know, yeah. Mm. I mean, it was the greatest wrestling match I've seen at the time. But what do I know? I was fourth grade. <laughs> you know, 
but the, we can talk about that yeah next time okay so that's on the agenda for next time so we we, we i think we covered a lot but still there's a lot more to cover so oh, but I'm, I'm really excited to part to, one to this was this. only part one yes. uwf is a big big theme mm. to understand big picture of japanese pro wrestling as a whole japanese pro wrestling and mixed martial arts today and right that too yeah even um, even u.s and north american pro wrestling too there's these guys have their, their fingerprints are on everything yeah yeah their dna is in everything oh i can see that and that was what frank gotch was trying to do back in 1900 huh probably mm. oh my gosh we got a lot of lot of ground to cover Yes, we have to get our notebooks out and we have to write everything down. Absolutely. This well, is I'm excited. And, uh, yes. Yeah, because we, 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 ex we are experiencing to this day. Yeah, even so. And there's always those, you know, uh, throwbacks or returns to this style. Look at Josh Barnett's blood sport. Oh, of uh, course. Oh, yeah, yeah. This and is uh, something that came from these guys. Changed Ken Shamrock's life. Or something like that, right? Of course, yeah. Or, or wrestlers yeah. that just uh, they commit to this, you know, this style, philosophy, yeah. or style, right? Yeah, yeah. It changed Ken Shamra, but made him superstar too. But changed his life so so drastically. Dan Severn know? too. Um, oh, Dan Severn, yeah. Or, or, All these people, and we'll eventually get to you know the Gracies in the nineties, right? And Their Gracie connection to pro became wrestling. famous by fighting pro wrestlers. Yes, you know, despite hoist, what yeah, they say. Hoist Gracie against Ken Shamrock made UFC famous, right? Mm. The original UFC. But it was Not Hicks that, and yeah. Gracie who made it popular in Japan. That too. Yeah, but always fighting wrestlers. Not MMA fighter, mm. but the Gracie against pro wrestler. That, that was so exciting, you know? But it wasn't Takada. It was, you had to wait until the rise of Sakuraba. Mr. Sakuraba, yes. Oh, and who would bring Sakuraba? Yeah. And he would bring that uh that philosophy of pro wrestling. This is pro wrestling. And they are stronger than any. I mean, look at is it, pro wrestlers are the best. Mm. Then the year 2000, 2001 audience really believed it. Oh god, good, good. You know? And a huge shows at the Tokyo Dome. Oh, huge. And it was a peak year of Katsushi Sakuraba and Yoshihiro Takeyama. Oh wow! Yeah, remember? The, oh yeah. yeah. So we gotta go back. We have to have part two and part three. And maybe part four. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll take it day, day well, not day by day, but episode by episode. So, yeah, but this was a very beginning, uh, part one, and hope people mm. liked it. Yeah, and if anybody has questions, where can they find you on Twitter, Fumisa? Uh, Fumihiko Dayo, F U M I H I K O D A Y O, Fumihiko Dayo on Twitter, or just Fumisaito on Facebook. Please message me first. Mm. And I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R, on Twitter. You can reach me there or on Patreon, on the, on the comments, on the website. No worries, no problem. So, for Until then? Yes. So long from Tokyo. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.